You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the literary briefs edition where everyone is only in their underwear. Just kidding. I say that a lot, but we actually have an underwear sponsor in mind. So I've decided, you know, if that happens, I'm just going to wear their underwear on the podcast. And that's how it's going to be. There you go. Um, Don't forget to like and subscribe, please, please. Um, So I am your host, Erica Lance, and my amazing co-host today is Bo Lay. And our guest today is the amazing Rich Davis. Hey, guys. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. I'm actually almost mm-hmm. near the end of my second peach mango, Angry Orchard, hard fruit cider. And I have a little bit of my elderflower lemonade. They're hand-picked flowers, the elderflowers. It's super fancy. That would explain the cost of this damn thing. But yes, mm-hmm. okay. So that's happening. Oh, what are you drinking? I have now moved on to water because I am getting more basic by the minute that's <laughs> no, okay you're is allowed it pumpkin to be- spice water <laughs> if only it isn't a, a fancy big jug mm. we should get out so we can see it we'll just have to believe well, you that it's, it's fancy. big it's big it's big and fancy we should get them the sponsor too <laughs> i like it i like it rich so i am about three quarters of the way through this absinthe with uh, real wormwood um, mixing it up with a little ginger ale, grenadine, uh, and uh, lime. So it's uh, it's it's pretty good, and I'm drinking it in my also my very fancy um, Witcher, um, whatever they call these water bottle things. I, I like it. Are you are you disappointed in the Witcher change? Uh, you know, I'm not happy that um, that uh, Henry Cavill's leaving. Um, I'm very disappointed to learn why uh, Henry Cavill's leaving. Um, apparently, there's some disagreements with the creative team. Um, and The Witcher is actually uh, a project that's very, uh, uh, very important to me. I love it. I, I've been reading the books for years, obviously playing the video games. And so Henry Cavill, he was he was one of us. You know, he was a Witcher nerd. He knows that he knows he's like uh, Ian McKellen on Lord of the Rings. He's like a walking encyclopedia of um of witcher knowledge and so to hear um stories that the creative team um has an active uh almost hatred for the source material um is very disappointing and so it makes me admire henry cavill for leaving that rather than being a part of them ruining um, a project that he cares a lot about um but it is it's very disappointing that he left and not the creative team um you know, because anytime you're adapting a project from one medium to another, there are going to be changes. You know, that, that's natural, but you should still have um, uh, have a bit of faith to uh, or faithfulness to the source material. And I face that a lot, you know, in adapting uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula into my first comic, uh, Cult of Dracula, um, you know, because there are certain expectations that fans of uh, Dracula have. Um, but I wanted to kind of, um, you know, spin those and package them in ways you may not 
expect, but I still tried, you know, every way I possibly could to stay true to what uh, Stoker intended. So it's a little disappointing that um, the creative team doesn't have that same regard for the Witcher books. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that how many times have we seen that go down in a series? <laughs> yeah. Start with the source material and then they go left and you're like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Where are you going? Cool. <laughs> we don't want to go there. No, we don't want that. Come back. Yeah, we didn't like that at all. Can we come back to season three and start again? And we'll go this way instead. <laughs> what do you mean, Bram is the king? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. I'm rewatching uh, Game of Thrones um, now for the first time. Actually, going back and rewatching it. And yeah, how how did Bran end up on the uh, on the Iron Throne? I, I don't. That's the one I did not expect. I I was. I was convinced, and I still think this after reading the books, because the books in the show are going to have a completely different ending. I think Sansa is going to be uh, going to be on the Iron Throne in the books. Ooh, that would be good. She is so amazing. I love that character in her journey from from the first page to the last page. It's just it's brilliant. I mean, this this girl is the toughest woman in all of Westeros to survive what she survived consistently and still navigate her way out of it to, you know, come out in a very powerful position. I mean, this girl has to be, has to be queen. The, the, the realm needs her. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's really interesting. I, I read all the books that were out at the time before the series started. There was a lot I was actually really happy with in the casting and the mm -hmm. characters. And then there was a point I was like, what? And then don't, just don't get me started about everything everything that happened in season seven and eight and I was like I was I'll tell you, this was this is my petty little victory I was so happy the guys that wrote that that were supposed to get the Star Wars series were told to mm -hmm. fuck off I was like yes yeah and they had that taken out from under them I was like thank you because God knows what you would have done with whatever Star Wars series you were going to helm yeah, and, and House of Dragon is so good too without them. So, mm -hmm. oh, House of the Dragon's brilliant. Um, yeah. I, I've absolutely loved it. Um, and yeah, I think Game of Thrones it really went off the rails once they passed Martin's source material. Once they were like, oh crap, where do we go? And then I think they saw just how challenging it is to finish an epic like like Song of Ice and Fire, and it is an epic. So I think maybe they saw how difficult it was and they were like, yeah, let's let's move on to something else because we don't want to tackle this. And then, of course, they rushed that, you know, season eight should have been should have been three seasons. Uh, you know, it just completely broke with this slow, deliberate pace that we've come to expect from um, from Game of Thrones. And then now all of a sudden you're on a runaway train going downhill um, and it just. I don't know. It just it didn't feel like the same show that we had invested seven previous seasons in. Yeah, no, I I agree. Okay, to your questions, rapid fire questions. What is your favorite book of all time? Stephen King's The Stand. Why? It is one one because I discovered it at a very very young age and was way too young to read it, but I forced myself to get through it because I'm the kind of person when I start doing something, um, I tend to do it. Uh, but I think the, the stand is probably the best example, at least the most profound example in my life of laying out a, a true post-apocalyptic uh, tale. 
Um, you know, I, th I think it's a very real other than, you know, there's some, you know, supernatural elements to it. Um, but it, it's very accurate into the way I believe people would react to a uh, to a global pandemic, which we just actually kind of lived through and, you know, saw people behaving all very similarly to uh, to the stand. So, yeah, I love Stephen King's The Stand, um, followed very closely by Anne Rice's interview with the vampire. No, it's interesting. I went and listened to that again um, right after she passed. Mm. And I think people do not realize because of the movies and even because, well, the new TV series is better at it being Louis' perspective and mm. Lestat is a side character mm -hmm. in in that story. Mm. Like, And in interview, he should be. Yeah. Because interview, interview is all Louis' story. If you want to read Lestat, you read everything else. Yes, which is, uh, I don't know if you've watched the new interview with the oh, yes. yet. Yep, I love it. I think I they're doing a pretty good job with it. You know, mm -hmm. I understand why they made some of the choices that they did, but they would not have a black lead if they kept on where he was. At the yeah, that yeah and, <laughs> you know, I think, um, you know, casting, the casting of Louis. I think it was obviously the most um, controversial um, choice that they made. But when you think about it, given uh, New Orleans culture, um, you know, the, the Creole influence, it, it makes perfect sense. And I like that they updated, um, you know, updated it to the, the 20s instead of going back to the um, uh, 1780s. Uh, and, I, you know, something they kept Louis, he's still he's still essentially a slave owner. You know, Louis in the books, you know, actually owned a plantation, but Louis in the TV show, um, he's a pimp. So he's essentially keeping these women as slaves. They're very well taken care of slaves, but um, they're, they're still slaves. So they kept the theme true. Um, I think the only casting decision that I didn't agree with is uh, the casting of Claudia. Um, and it's just, they made her too old. The, the actor's fine. Um, she needs to work on her accent quite a bit. It's very clear she's not from the South. Um, but um, making her a teenager, it just takes away so much of the depth of Claudia's character because she's she's uh, she's a mid, middle-aged teenager and she clearly looks like she could pass for 18, 19, 20. So I don't really see the same issues that Claudia in the books dealt dealt with mm -hmm. of being a being a a woman, a sixty year old woman trapped in the body of you know a five year old girl. Um, so I, I I really did don't like what they did with Claudia in the TV series, but otherwise I, I really do enjoy the show. Yeah, I had that same conversation ironically with uh, or not ironically, who knows, with a, a friend of mine who's a huge fan of it too, and I said. I get it. I don't love it, but the thing, the problem with Claudia is when she shifts and she shifts fairly rapidly mm -hmm. into being an adult and trying yeah. to go through all those things. And there are so many things with a child actor that you'd run into post, you know, the death of the start, right? Like mm -hmm. just, and I said, I get why they made this choice. I don't love it, but I, I totally get. I mean, that's why they did got grabbed Kristen Dunst, who was like eleven or twelve. She was time. eleven, which I yeah. can see that. I mean, you know, I, getting another like one of those young Disney age actors. You know, they're they're already messed up anyway, so um, <laughs> Disney's already taking care of that. 
Um, but you know, that, that was the age, you know, cause I know you're not gonna be able to cast a five-year-old to play Claudia. Yeah. It's just, it, you'll, you'll end up ruining her, um, the way Linda Blair, um, that poor woman was ruined, um, psychologically, um, yeah. you know, but, um, you know, I, I would, that's what I was expecting, you know, an actor who's around Stranger Things season one age, you know, um, so it, it was a little disappointing that they cast a 20 year old um to play that role and who who also looks 20 she doesn't she doesn't look young enough to play claudia and that's the essence of everything that claudia struggles with so now with her being an older teenager in appearance um she's just a brat and she's not very interesting in the show i agree and i also think like you said the things that she deals with we're gonna see because this person's gonna grow Mm-hmm. And that's the mm-hmm. other caveat. It'll be interesting to see how they move. Well, I mean, she dies. I guess that's going to yeah, be. Yeah, she's the- not going to be around long. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she kind of has to. I Anyway, there's a lot of things. Okay. What is your least favorite book of all time? Oh, that's. See, I'm one of these Pollyanna people that I always try to find the positives in everything that I watch or read. Um, I will say this. Um, anything uh anything written by charlene harris um i adored the tv series true blood it was amazing and so i wanted to read the books that supported it and her writing is um less than impressive to me um you know if you you it looks it's very, it reminds me a lot of these uh, little trashy romance novels my grandmother used to read that I would find around her house when I was little. Um, it, it's just that type of terrible writing. And um, I, I have a rule, I will not criticize anything until I've either read it, watched it, or listened to it. So I did force myself to get through the first two of her books. And yeah, they just did not impress me in the slightest. We can high five. I had the same exact literally scenario besides the billet <laughs> season, which I don't talk about on True Blood. Um, mm. And True Blood stopped talking about it because they pretended like it didn't happen the next mm-hmm. season. Um, I I thought I went to read the books and I first of all, I love that they changed some things because if Lafayette had died, riot. Oh. Riot would have happened. Yeah. That would have been the end, right? Yep, Unfortunately, he's cast as an actor, but I, you know, if he had been killed in the first season, I would have been like, I'm not watching this anymore. Yeah, Loved like, him. this show sucks. Mm-hmm. But I noticed that from book one to book two, I forget which character it was, but it, they changed like nationalities, and I was like, what the what the fuck is happening? Like total change of character description, and I was like, yeah, somebody edit this, read the first book, because this is not even what the characters look like. No. That's always jarring when they make a change like that, too. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay, if you could be any supernatural or mythical creature, what would you be? Um, I would be a, I would be Mystique from uh, from the X Men because I have always thought the ability to shape shift into any person um, at any time that that's just a fascinating superpower to me. So I would. Um, I, I would love to have that power. Very cool. Bo, do you have a question? Favorite book to movie adaptation? Ah, yeah, I'm going to go with something recent right now, um, because it's just fresh in my mind. Um, and I'm going to go with Netflix's The Sandman. 
Um, I think it is a near perfect adaptation of uh, Neil Gaiman's work. And that is not an easy thing to accomplish because that story, it, I mean, it is an epic. It spans so much and deals with so many um, you know, unique themes and topics and characters. Uh, I, I just absolutely adore uh, the way Netflix brought that to life. So right now, that's probably my favorite uh, book to screen adaptation. Least favorite. Mm, gosh, you got it. Again, you're killing me with the Pollyanna <laughs> stuff here. Um, again, I'm going to go uh, with something recent. And uh, and I, I really do hate to say this because I wanted to I wanted to enjoy it more. Uh, but Amazon's The Rings of Power was very disappointing in the first season. Um, and only because it was so inconsistent. Um, and it felt sometimes like um, they were going for style completely over substance. And it was beautiful. It's beautifully shot. And I think there's enough in there that's going to keep me interested for season two. Um, but the pacing and the way some of the plots fizzled out and then the, the, the deus ex machina that they repeatedly used just to, you know, just to, because they have to, um, was very disappointing. So yeah, I'd say Rings of Power is my least favorite right now. I've heard so many fans say it was like a roller coaster ride that you didn't get off of it and go, I enjoyed any part of it. Yeah. Yeah, there yeah. were there were very few things that I really um, that I really enjoyed. I mean, it was it's just one of those like I wanted it to be epic. I wanted it to be everything I loved about Lord of the Rings, and I'm one of the nerds who's actually read the Silmarillion and all the unfinished tales. So you know, I knew the characters that they were talking about and the situations, and you know, I, I don't know. It was just it was just disappointing. I don't hate it but it just disappointed me because I wanted so much more from it. No, that makes sense. Okay, what is your favorite weird food combination? <laughs> uh, so I will drink um, milk with anything. Um, milk is the perfect drink no matter what you're eating. It always, it always tastes amazing. So my weirdest food combination would be anything and milk. Okay, okay. Like pizza and milk, for example. Like, I love the taste of milk with pizza. Try it. It's fantastic. The saltiness of the of the dough and the cheese, it, it perfect with the richness of the milk. It's amazing. My favorite is cold milk and Doritos. I will eat Doritos <laughs> cold milk. Sounds great. But I also will put sour cream on pizza, which drives people nuts because... Oh. I will put that. sour cream on almost anything because sour I cream's that. amazing. Yeah, I've never yeah. tried it on pizza, but I would. Now, see now, milk, sour cream, pizza, done, done, yeah. and done. I'm an like adventurous it. eater. I'll try anything twice. So, what is something on your anti-bucket list? Like something you did, and you're like, I will never do that again. <laughs> um. Oh wow. Um. Uh, getting into the embarrassing stories, I guess. Um, so, all right. So I have, I've never been um, uh, a person who partakes in um, illegal drugs. Okay. Never even did pot. And so until I was older and found out that uh, my doctor actually told me that, um, that there's something in marijuana that helps uh, with your digestive tract uh, and helps with Crohn's disease, which I have. So I try, I wanted to try edibles because I don't smoke anything. 
And my friend Whitney, um, she made me a thing of brownies. And it was a tray of brownies. And she said, you know, she brought them over and she didn't cut them up for me. And so I sliced them like they were brownies, like, you know, big brownie type thing. Um, and she didn't tell me how much I was supposed to eat. So everything that happened about an hour after I ate that brownie is one of those anti-bucket list things I never want to do again. <laughs> Maybe a smidge too much. Yeah, um, but no, it wasn't a smidge. It was like that much too much. No, I know. So. I was trying to be nice, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, so yeah, I, I definitely would not repeat that again. So um, although some of the experiences from that did did make it into some of my books. So, you know, so it wasn't completely wasted. I like it. What about um, something you do as an author that your editor is like, what the hell? Stop doing this. I do an obscene amount of research on every single thing I write about. Um, so, and 99% of what I research never actually makes it into the book in a, uh, an identifiable way. Um, so it, it does drive my editor a little bit crazy that I will spend, I'll spend two or three days researching, you know, exactly what the, um, you know, the cooling tower at the, uh, at the Oak Ridge um, nuclear facility looked like in, you know, on this day in 1965, or there was another time I was researching, there's one panel, there's an offhanded reference to their watching the Super Bowl on TV. And so I'd already established what time it was. So I actually went and did a day of research to find out what image would have been on the screen at this time, if someone were watching the Super Bowl on that day. Um, so yeah, my, my editor is like, look, I love the research. I love that you understand the world you're writing in, but you can dial it back a little bit. <laughs> Ease down. You're grinding metal. You're grinding metal. What about something for you that throws you out of a story when you're reading it? Like what is something that will instantly make you want to stop reading? Um, when the characters don't behave as they feel like they should. Uh, and George R. R. We were talking Game of Thrones earlier. George R. R. Martin is um, guilty of this a lot in my experience reading him. Um, he's more of an architect. He plans out his stories, you know, beat by beat, page by page. He knows exactly where he's going. And that's great because his plots almost always pay off. But you know, he doesn't. He's a pantser. Really? Really? For George R. So he's been friends with Melinda Snodgrass. I had a long okay. conversation. He's a thousand percent a pantser. I thought he plotted because I was like, Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, no, he pantses all of his stories. Okay, well, he is probably maybe that's most... why the next book is taking so long. Oh, I'm sure he's like, Oh crap, <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> I, and you know what if knowing that um i respect it a little bit more um you know because hey i've been there <laughs> like characters talk to me please i don't know what you want from me well i also think i mean i would not want to be in his situation because what the crap do you do now like you know i mean that may not be it but the fact is is like where do you go how do you not create an outrage somehow well, I mean, he's got a he's got a very clear blueprint of how fans do not want to see the book end. So, oh, I I, I know that that that's not how it <laughs> <laughs> And I'll guarantee you, you know, if he's smart, 
none of those things in season eight will make it into his book. And, you know, season eight will just be the, uh, the Elseworlds fan fiction that we just don't pay attention <laughs> to anymore. Yeah, no, I agree 10,000% on that. Um, okay, uh, Bo, I will let you ask the final question of the Literary Briefs episode. Okay. Is there a quote from a book or poem that sticks with you? That's not oh, your quote. That's not, oh man, but I've got so many quotable lines in my books. <laughs> um, you know, because and only because I use it all the time. It's one word, always. Mm. And you, know, you, you say one word, everybody immediately knows where it came from. And, uh, you know, that was just such a, I don't know, just such a powerfully impactful end to Snape's arc. I mean, it's, it's such a brilliantly written character. So yeah, always. It's like a knife in the chest. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like almost like Joss Whedon wrote that. Yes. I wish he did not get as much trouble as he's that particular gentleman. It's very disappointing. You know, and that's one of those things, it's, it's so hard sometimes to separate the art from the artist. And, um, you know, but I, his, his work had such a profound impact on me. It touched my life in so many ways at the exact right moment. I can't ignore that but I don't have to approve of his behavior and it can be very disappointing um, I, I agree 100% I think the thing for me was that Buffy especially as a girl a female mm -hmm. or somebody who identifies as a female was so huge because we didn't see a lot of heroines mm -hmm. I mean I love Ripley Aliens is my favorite movie of all time and Ripley has mm -hmm. been one of my heroes because she was it was one of the first movies where a female character was not the damsel in distress mm -hmm. necessarily you know yeah, she was a badass she was a badass princess leia badass i saw star wars when i was three years old with the chinese man theater opening night before anybody understood what the fuck it was and, nice and um but buffy i love that because it did have the strong female characters throughout mm -hmm. the entire thing and that entire show would have been very different if there was a cell phone involved. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Gone back so to true. watch that show at all. Very different show if you imagine they had cell phones. Because they spent most <laughs> of the show going to look for each other in different mm -hmm. places. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, very different. Okay, shameless self-promotion time. Rich, tell people how to find you and your work. Yeah, uh, so it's super easy. Um, I am Cult of Dracula Comic on everything. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. Very, very cool. Thank you so much for being on the show with us. This has been yeah, so much fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, had a great time. Absolutely. Okay. And now we have our rom-com. So that's, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> yes. about that. Yeah, I'm going to work on that, actually. It's, it has been filed away in the back of my mind. And uh, it's going to be a project I toy around with because I've got you gave a pretty pretty good setup for that, so I can probably play with that a little bit. That is going to be amazing. Okay, well, um, this has been Drinking with Authors, a literary briefs edition. I have been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today has been the amazing Bo Lake, and our guest has been Rich Davis, and we will see you guys next time. The Hitchhiker's Guide to Podcasting has this to say about the weekly Earth Station One podcast. Mildly entertaining. Not nearly as exciting as the popping of bubble wrap, but slightly better than listening to Vogon poetry. Be mildly entertained by Mike and Mike as they tackle an assortment of geeky topics each week. Check out the Earth Station One podcast and let your inner geek out to play.
has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.